wonder how your week's been. How's it gone? So, Sunday is the first day of the week, but I wonder how last week went. I wonder what your general impressions are, what you got up to, how you feel you did. If you were uh, brought to a uh, um, divine accountability for it, do you think you would be a winner or a loser? If your summary or your assessment of the week just gone involves the word busy at all, I suggest you might have fallen into a pity, pretty grim trap. I think if you're using the word busy to summarise your week, then you might actually be going badly wrong. And you ask, well, how can I be? We know busyness is really good. It means I'm productive and it means I'm important. You know that I'm accomplishing things, whether it's at work or at home or for the kingdom. You can see that I have value because I am busy. But busyness is often the sign, I think, of cowardice. It is the sign that you are hiding. I'm going to read to you some thoughts written 400 years ago uh, by a very, very clever Frenchman. Uh, and he says this. We are unable to cure death, wretchedness and ignorance. And so men and women have decided, in order to be happy, not to think about these things. Despite these problems, people want to be happy. They only want to be happy. They cannot help wanting to be happy. But how do we go about it? Best thing would be to be able to deal with all of those problems. But you can't do that. And so he's decided to stop thinking. Might be slightly provocative today. Please forgive me if doesn't go well. The only good thing for men, therefore, is to be diverted from thinking of what they are, either by some occupation which takes their mind off it, or by some novel and agreeable passion which keeps them busy. He lists gambling and hunting. I would suggest football, work, DIY, entertainment, pets. All these things fill our lives to stop us thinking. They are diversions from eternity. That is why sport and feminine society, war and high office are so popular. It is not they really bring happiness, nor that anyone imagines that true bliss comes from money or hunting doesn't come, does it? We know true happiness doesn't come from football, or work, or DIY, or YouTube, or pets, or any of these other diversions. What people want is not the easy, peaceful life that allows us to think of our unhappy condition, nor the dangers of war, nor the burdens of office, but the agitation that takes our mind off it and diverts us. That is why we prefer the hunt 
to the capture. That is why, so, why men and women are so fond of hustle and bustle. That is why prison is such a fearful punishment. That is why the pleasures of solitude are so incomprehensible. We know all the things that we're busy with don't bring happiness. But what they do do is they stop us thinking, properly thinking. I wonder when the last time was that you stopped. When was the last time you put down your devices? Last time you put down your phone? Last time you switched off the TV? Last time you turned off the radio? The last time you just stopped and thought? Thought not about all the things you had to do, not about all the things you had to accomplish, and some of you are probably even doing that now. God forbid. When was the last time you stopped and thought about eternity, about death, about knowledge and ignorance? This morning, I am going to help you. I am going to help you think about the things that your lives have tried to avoid up to this point. That your phone makes it so easy to be distracted from. Are you ready to look at death and eternity? Because that is where we're going right now. Come on. <laughs> this is why you don't think. This is why your phone is such an intoxicating pastime. This is why Netflix and YouTube and the BBC uh, are so popular. This is what I see and what troubles me. I look around in every direction and all I see is darkness. Nature has nothing to offer me that does not give rise to doubt and anxiety. If I saw no sign of divinity, I should decide on a negative solution. If I saw signs of creator everywhere, I should peacefully settle down in faith. But seeing too much to deny and not enough to affirm, I am in a pitiful state where I have wished a hundred times over that if there is a God supporting nature, that nature would unequivocally proclaim him. And that if the signs in nature are deceptive, they should be completely erased. That nature should say all or nothing so that I can see what course I ought to follow. Instead of that, in the state in which I am, not knowing what I am, nor what I ought to do. I know neither my condition nor my duty. My whole heart strains to know what the true good is in order to pursue it. No price would be too high to pay for eternity. We are surrounded by things that give us doubt and we cannot deal with it and so we run from it and we seek distraction, anything to preoccupy our minds from looking at the world and finding doubt, unsure things. 
This is the challenge of eternity, and it's the most important question you can consider. There's nothing in your life that is more important than considering eternity, because it is the thing that goes on and on. Death is the thing that beckons eternity. There is nothing more sure in your life than death and eternity. But they are problems we seem least equipped to decipher. Who is happy at the prospect of death? Who, at the, even the word eternity, does not slightly get uncomfortable and wrestles with meaning? How can we make sense when we can't find relief in reality? When we look at it and go, is there a God or isn't there? When we look at reality and say, does he conform to what I think or is he something else? The world seems beautiful. We've got a new rose at the bottom of our garden and it's sort of sprouted everywhere. It just seems so excessive and beautiful and just shines and puts the rest of the garden in shame. And yet we've got ants' nests that create chaos and uh, uh, eat up things and sort of destroy the lawn. We have beauty and anarchy everywhere we look. We have things that make us call out, there is a God, and then other things that we find and encounter where we go, what is this mess? And it causes us to doubt. And we can't deal with that doubt. And so we run away into distraction. And we, vo uh, we avoid silence. People leave their TVs on all day and all night because they can't deal with the silence. They uh, 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 spend hours on their phone, so we now have phones that tell us how long we've spent on our phones because it is such a contagious catastrophe that we do all this with our minds. In the story of Moses, and we've been looking Hopefully you know that, we've been looking at the story of Moses as a community. And we find our hero confronted with eternity. He is just looking after some sheep and then suddenly there's this burning bush. Suddenly there is this divine pronouncement. Suddenly there is this divine confrontation. And Moses is invited to trust in God. And he is invited not just to trust in God, but to live with a new purpose, to have a new destiny thrust upon him. But Moses is like us. He is filled with doubt. He once tried to save an Israelite, and then the Egyptians and the Israelites shunned him. And he ran into the desert, and he found uh, uh, relief with a wife and child. And now he is uh, looking after sheep, and he is full of doubt. He is wrapped with it. He doesn't know how to deal with the reality as it is. And God comes in and uh, challenges him. And so when God says, come and do something for me, what is Moses' response? It is what he's trained himself to do. He doubts. He goes, I'm not sure about that, God. God is frustrated with this nomad. He's like, man, I have done everything for you, but you won't listen to the evidence. You won't listen to my voice. You won't see this burning bush that's uh, on fire but isn't consumed. But you know what? God is a gracious God. And even this man, Moses, 
God says, you know what? I am going to uh, make room for your doubt. I'm going to tolerate it. I'm going to accept that you are a man that can't see the wood for the trees. And he says, you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you an ally. That is what you need. If you've got a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 4. It says this in Exodus chapter 4, verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, this is Moses' brother, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and he kissed him. And then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses had all these great fireworks in the desert with the burning bush and the loud voice and the proclamation and the miracles and the uh, staff into a snake and uh, uh, um, the sort of leprous hand back healed. Aaron gets his quiet voice going to the desert and Aaron does exactly what he should do. While Moses is kind of frozen in doubt, Aaron does what he should and goes and meets Moses. And uh, he finds him where God says, and he warmly greets him. And it's this beautiful moment of reunion. Moses has been on the outside of Israeli, Israelite society, and now his brother greets him warmly. And it's one that should uh, um, do our heart good to read about. He'd felt an alienation from his people. And then suddenly his older brother comes. And you can imagine the powerful medicine to the soul that that greeting would have been. Do you know, facts and correct answers are really good. It is great to know truth. But there is also an importance in connection, an importance in belonging. And that too now uh, meets Moses where he's at. And Moses is moved along. He has uh, uh, been given truth and now Aaron is his ally. And uh, so Moses just uh, uh, erupts with all the things that God has explained to him. He just tells his uh, uh, older brother all that God has spoken about, all the miracles and signs that he is to do, um, about the accomplishments God is sending him out to. Um, and it's easy to imagine this Moses who was stuck with fear on this mountainside, suddenly bursting out in animation as he retells the story of God's intervention in his life and of that calling that perhaps he knew when he killed that Egyptian that he was to deliver the Israelites after all. To a stranger, this guy would have been unbelievable. He would have been a lunatic. But this brother who knows him, who loves him, who'd been set out into the wilderness uh, uh, by God himself, it would have been fuel to the fire. Suddenly Aaron go, so that's why I'm here. That's why all this has happened. All the story up to this point suddenly makes sense when we realise God has this great plan ahead of us. Let me be very clear. 
this Frenchman, Blaise Pascal, that I read from earlier, is right to expose the pervasiveness of doubt. Because it's everywhere, we're all full of it. Some of us more than others. Sometimes we can walk through sunlit forests and uh, be completely assured of God's benevolence and grace and mercy. And the next moment, we can be confronted with loneliness and hopelessness. We can have to face down sickness and poverty and then suddenly that assurance leaches out and we wonder what on earth is going on. The very best solution is just to draw near to God. The very best solution in these times of doubt is to step closer to God and uh, be reassured in our trust and belief. But we're often too confused for that. We're often too at sea for that. And so God in his graciousness helps us. He says, you know what? You don't have to be an island. You don't have to be isolated. It doesn't all have to be on your shoulders. On Friday, um, I felt very privileged. Uh, uh, someone that I, I, I know a little bit reached out to me uh, because they were experiencing this. They were experiencing a, a loneliness in their faith. They knew what they should do, but they just weren't getting round to it. And so we met up and we walked round Tilgate and this uh, uh, guy that was isolated before suddenly found companionship and friendship. Yeah, they wanted to talk about the mysteries of God, to speak them out loud, to be reassured in the company of someone they understand. And so we walked and we shared and we laughed and we guessed and we doubted and we speculated and we encouraged and we smiled because a faith sometimes needs someone else. A faith often needs someone else. Someone to walk alongside us. We need errands in our life so that we can uh, uh, be reassured of what we are talking about in our souls. And so the call is, don't paddle around in trivialities. I am excited about tonight. I am. But... It shouldn't be a preoccupation of us. It shouldn't fill our minds. It should be uh, a, a, a small aspect of our lives. It should be marginalised to the edges because it has no importance. We shouldn't be afraid of death. We shouldn't be afraid of eternity. We shouldn't be afraid of death and immortality. We shouldn't be afraid of confronting the real questions uh, uh, that have proper meaning really doesn't matter how tonight goes but it does matter how your life goes and so I encourage you this morning find partners that will come alongside you and talk about the silence that everyone else is terrified of 
all these people out there that even perhaps at the weekend when they're not supposed to be working, they fill their lives full of busyness because they can't stand still, because they can't rest, because they can't know peace, because the silence of eternity and death and immortality terrifies them. Find people that you can sit with and rest with. Find family members who you can sit and be peaceful with, who you don't have to bustle and hustle around with. There's, there's a silence that terrifies the world because they've got no tools to deal with these things. But we do. God put a day of rest very specifically in the working week for exactly this. And we need to be comfortable with putting our feet up and thinking of these things rather than filling our minds full of what should we do next, what should we buy next, what should we build next, what do I need to be worried about? If you don't know where to start, join a home group. Get along to our prayer meeting. At least these organisational moments are a starting point to share the silence with. If you've got a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 4, verse 29, and it says this. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. And he also performed the signs before the people. And what did they do? They believed. And when they heard from the Lord, and when they heard the Lord was concerned about them, and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. On his, on his own, Moses doubted and was scared. But with Aaron at his back, things changed. They returned to uh, Egypt like men on a mission. Suddenly they were filled with that divine spark of purpose. And they summoned the very leaders of Israel. They gather the heads of the tribes and they come in. Can you imagine the boldness that must have taken? This nomad and his older brother suddenly calling together this council. And Aaron steps forward and he shares everything that Moses had told him. And he repeats all the wonderful signs that God had shown Moses. And then these two Israelites stand there in front of their people and they are burning bright with the truth of the silence that others have avoided. And they shone for the whole community to see. And this downtrodden, enslaved, brutalised people, these Israelites who saw their uh, sons killed after birth, who uh, were subject to uh, horrific uh, working conditions, these Israelites watch and listen to Moses, the shepherd nomad, and his older brother. And I like to imagine that Aaron finishes speaking. Moses waits. Aaron waits. What will they say? How will they deal with this incredible, fantastic account? They know they've had 400 years of misery in Egypt. They are so used to doubting. They are so familiar with questions. 
And wonderfully and miraculously, it's like a forest fire, it catches the light. And suddenly the whole people of Israel believe. Now it won't be sustained, they go up and down. Uh, but for this moment there is this rupture of belief and the belief of Aaron and Moses sweeps through the people and suddenly they all suddenly realise that God has seen them, God cares for them, that God has got a, 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 a promised land for them to uh, put roots down on and they embrace this. And suddenly it's not two crackpots against the world, it was the chosen people of God together burning brightly, looking forward to the next chapter of their history. And what do they do? They do what people of God have been doing for thousands of years. They break out in worship. They get Tim with his guitar and they, he strums through something and the voices of God's people lift up to the heavens in delight and worship and praise. When we started in Newbridge in 2005, I was uh, kind of uh, drawn to particular chapters and verses, and, and I'm going to read one of them this morning. If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. I'm drawing to a close, um, but I just want to have a look at this. Um, so they... Peter and John get released from prison, um, and what do they do? They go back to their own people in Acts chapter 4, um, and they say to the, their church everything that has gone on. And then they have this great prayer meeting together, where they just praise God and, and call them to do stuff. And, uh, and then it goes to verse 31. I'm going to skip what I was going to read. And it says in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly and then it's easy to neglect this next bit and all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had. Can you hear this congregation that likes to spend time with each other, that understands the importance of congregation? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Wouldn't you like to be in that place where God's grace works powerfully in every single one? And what did God's grace accomplish? There was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Can you sense that enjoyment of church? A congregation that knows it's important to gather. Friends, if you are distressed by the chaos of the darkness, then you are invited to come and find relief in the company of God's people. We uh, love God and he would uh, uh, reveal himself to you if uh, um, you were to enjoy our company. Jesus, God the Son, is in 
his church. His Holy Spirit is in his church and we have warm hearts and we would give and be generous and share our lives with you and suddenly you would find relief from the darkness and the chaos. And if we struggle with faith, and who doesn't? If we struggle with discipline, and who doesn't? If we are unsure what it means and looks like to love, and who doesn't? We come together for church. It is a discipline and a joy to meet every week in person on a Sunday morning. Sometimes it is a delight in our hearts and sometimes it's a bit of a chore, but you know what? It is good always to meet together, to enjoy the benefits of Jesus in his church is a blessing like no other. You know, if you are part of church, if you are part of the congregation of God, you don't have much time as other people. They'll watch box sets, uh, get to go to uh, football games, they'll get to participate in all sorts of activities that you won't because you reserve time for church. It has to be an inconvenience. It has to be something that you go to rather than something else, where you say, you know what, other concerns are pushed out because I need to consider eternity with my brothers and sisters. And you will have less money. Because we give, because the idea is that no one has need, and so we give out and we take in. I was talking with our um, plasterer during the week, and we were just talking about what we do, and I love people asking me what I do, uh, because I can sort of slip in about church, and then when they don't look interested or their eyes glaze over, I just keep going. And we were just talking uh, uh, about uh, everyone giving and everyone uh, uh, blessing. We bless people in the church, we bless people in the community, and then we bless orphans in Haiti and uh, the struggling in Zambia and those in Macedonia. And we give, and so you are going to be poorer. You'll give out money, but you know what? You'll be richer as well. We live with eternity in our hearts and it affects what we do with our time, with our strength and with our money. And we seek out those moments that other people think we're loony for because they can't stand it. I want to close with uh, some awesome words of Blaise Pascal. Um, I've kind of shoehorned them in uh, here, uh, and I hope you'll forgive me, but they are uh, very good. Without Christ, man can only be vicious and wretched. With Christ, man is free from vice and wretchedness. In him is all our virtue and all our happiness. Apart from him, there is only vice and wretchedness. There is only error and darkness and death and despair. Without him, we're bankrupt. Not only do we, um, not only, do we only know God through Jesus Christ, but we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. We only know life and death through Jesus Christ. The most important subject 
come through him. Apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot know the meaning of our life and our death. Without Jesus, you can't look at eternity. Without Jesus, you can't sit in silence. Without Jesus, you have to hustle and bustle. You have to be busy. You have to find things to be preoccupied with. But with him, you can sit in silence. We can know the meaning of God and of ourselves. Thus, without scripture, whose only object is Christ, we know nothing and we can see nothing but obscurity and confusion in the nature of God and nature itself. Please pray, hands. Heavenly Father, we are a strange creation. We are flesh and blood, but you have impressed on us a self-consciousness, a self-awareness, a capacity to understand death and eternity. We are not like the other animals. Lord God, I pray that we will not uh, be content with just looking for diversions, that we would be good at seeking out silence, at seeking out rest, at seeking out peace, that we would be able to look at life and death and eternity with strength and courage and awareness and knowledge. Lord God, I pray that we would find people in our lives, in this church, who will come alongside us and encourage us like Aaron did, that we would find people that call us not to be busy and active, but to rest in the silence and consider things that really matter. And Lord God, I pray that you would find here a community that values each other, that is a place where uh, we don't rush around doing stuff, but that we contemplate you. We uh, look at ourselves in light of your goodness. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a people that worship you out of the richness of this knowledge. Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.